from Psalm 78. Yet they still continued to sin against him, to rebel against the Most High in the desert. And in their heart, they put God to the test by asking food according to their desire. Then they spoke against God. They said, Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out, and streams were overflowing. Can he give bread also? Will he provide meat for his people? Therefore the Lord heard and was full of wrath, and a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also mounted against Israel, because they did not believe in God and did not trust in his salvation. Yet he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down manna upon them to eat and gave them food from heaven. Man did eat the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he directed the south wind. When he rained meat upon them like the dust, even winged fowl like the sand of the seas, then he let them fall in the midst of their camp, round about their dwellings. So they ate and were filled, and their desire he gave to them. Before they had satisfied their desire, while the food was in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them and killed some of their stoutest ones and subdued the choice men of Israel. In spite of all this, they still sinned and did not believe in his wonderful works. So he brought their days to an end in futility and their years in sudden terror. Now we turn to the, uh, the Gospel of uh, John and And hear these words of of our Lord. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that which may be one, even as we are. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, 
which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Let's pray. Lord, we rejoice in this, uh, in this progress for this uh, time you've given us. We, we uh, thank you that uh, your hand has uh, guided this process. We thank you for those that uh, you have worked through on the search team and, and uh, through our uh, interim pastor, Jerry. We, we thank you so much for all the work that has been done, for the patience of the congregation, for uh, sending us uh, a, a candidate that... Uh, all are unanimous in recommending to the congregation. We, uh, we rejoice that we have this opportunity. Now let us uh, turn our hearts to you as uh, Jerry preaches to us, that we would uh, listen to your word and, and grow and learn in you. In Christ's name. This morning, uh, we are in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is uh, the longest, I think, chapter in the New Testament. It might be in the whole Bible. It goes on and on. Now, of course, uh, when the Bible, uh, uh, the book of John, was first written, there were no chapters and there were no verse numbers. But it does bring, I think, together wisely. Uh, you have the miracle of feeding the 5,000 from a few loaves and fishes. And then you have the miracle of walking on water. And then you've got these people following. And Jesus, uh, after a lot of ministry, people were crowding around, getting healed, getting fed, uh, getting taught. And the crowds were so great sometimes that they couldn't even eat. People were coming in the door and coming in the windows. And so Jesus took his uh, apostles across the lake up to a hill where it was more isolated, away from towns. And then everybody in the area heard he was there, and people from across the lake uh, followed him. They walked around the lake. So thousands showed up, so he couldn't get away. So he went off into the night to pray, and uh, he sent the disciples on ahead. And last week we studied how he met them in the night, walking on the water. So... Jesus and everybody's back in Capernaum. This is his adopted hometown. He left Nazareth. You know, he went down to the beach. That's what he did. He left the hill country of Nazareth. But, of course, he didn't leave in a very good way. Uh, he announced in the synagogue from Isaiah that uh, he was the promised Messiah. And they took uh, umbrage at that, and they rushed him out, took him to the brow of the hill, and they were going to throw him over and kill him. And Jesus discerned it was time to leave town. That, that, that's how you know. That's how you know. You, you wonder, how does you know when you call a pastor? Well, it has to line up. You got the search team and then the congregation votes and then the presbytery votes and all those things have to line up. Well, how does a pastor know when to leave? Well, when you try to throw you over a cliff, you know. <laughs> and Jesus figured this out. But he had already ahead of time visited Capernaum and did some great healings there. The nobleman's son, the centurion's son. So people of influence had already spread the word. So he and his family and all of his apostles, some were already lived in Capernaum. They were fishermen. 
they relocated to Capernaum. And going from a town of about, you know, 1,000, it was a town of about 15,000. It was a bustling area on the Via Mara, the road that went down uh, to Egypt. And, but it was, on, uh, it was on the lake, and it was a chain. So Jesus, it said in the scripture, adopted this as his new hometown. So he goes back home, and then uh, everybody on the other side of the lake said, well, where is he? Uh, he must have gone back home. So they jump in boats and come back, and they followed him back. So this is the scene in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, the other from where they were, now they're back in Capernaum. They asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, we're going to go through a large section of this this morning. And uh, when I read this and studied it, Oh, we could spend a lot of time on here. There are all sorts of interesting teachings and truths and doctrines in here. But we don't want to get bagged down, so I'm going to give you an overview and a picture of it. But there are three things here. First, there was something, as I looked at it, that just made me very happy, uh, gave me great joy, very encouraging. So get ready to be encouraged. And then there was something that just amazed me. It was so incongruous that it actually shocked me. So I was happy, and then I was shocked, and then I got down to a part, and it actually scared me uh, and made me afraid. Uh, but then I circled back around to the joyful part. So that's where we're going. And you see an outline there on page four. So what's going on here? These guys come by, and we're talking about, first of all, uh, hard words. They asked Jesus, how did you get here? Natural question. It says, uh, there were no boats. So how did you get here? We went down to the shore and there were no boats. So how did you get here? And he said, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures your eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they ask him, see, there's two askings here. What miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the man in the desert, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. It is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they asked him, uh, excuse me, then, for they said, well, give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and who who believes in me will never be thirsty. And so they said, all our life we've been eating bread that didn't satisfy, and it cost us money. And now you're offering us bread of life without money, freely. And we can have eternal life. We've been seeking you all our lives. That's not what happened. This is the thing that shocked me. What gave me great joy was when he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. That's the wonderful good news. That's what made me joyful. Look, there's bread. You know, um, John Piper said, 
that if God is the creator and he's omnipotent and omniscient, he knows all things, he's very intelligent. When he created, Piper says, he actually planned ahead and he actually created bread. And he actually created light. And he actually created water. And he actually created sheep so that his son could use these things, these everyday things as metaphors. And then that would be a gateway to help us human beings move from the material to the immaterial. Now, I thought about this for two weeks, and I think, I think Piper has a point. Because it makes sense if God created everything and he's planning everything, and everything is culminating in Jesus, he provided these metaphors. And Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Go from the material to the immaterial. I am the bread of life. I'm, the, I'm living water. I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. So all these metaphors help us move from material to immaterial. And that's where he's trying to lead these people. You've had the bread. Now I'm the bread of life. And it was helping them make this connection. You see how gracious and how helpful and how uh, purposeful is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit to bring this truth to us human beings. And their response is, verse 41, at this they began to grumble because he said, I am bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we knew? How can he now say, I am come down from heaven? Verse 43, Jesus said, stop grumbling among yourselves. And then you go over to 52. He says, the bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. Well, here's this great good news. And if you doubt that this Jesus, he says, who we know, we know his father, we know his mother, he grew up among us. How then can he say he came down from heaven? And Jesus said, that's right. You should ask that question. I'm going to give you two sterling witnesses. Number one, my father testifies, the scriptures speak of me from beginning to end. If you read the scriptures, you will read about me. The father testifies as in a courtroom that I am the son of God because he has predicted and described me. And I fulfill those prophecies. The second is the miracles that I do. They are signs. And what do signs do? They point. You yourselves just saw 15,000 people fed by the multiplication of food. And then his disciples had seen him walk on water, you see. So he says, I'm giving you ample evidence so here's this gracious, brilliant offer of eternal life. And what do they do? They ask, they grumble, and they argue. Now this is the thing that shocks me, that I'm awestruck. 
what in the world is going on here? And Jesus says this. He says, um, highlighted this. Verse 36, you have seen me and still you do not believe. You have seen me and heard me and seen the miracles and still you do not believe. And you know what's even scarier about it? These were Bible people. They knew their Bible. They said across the lake, this is the one that Moses predicted, the prophet. They had read Moses. They believed the prophecy of Moses. And then they come over here and they said, what miraculous signs. Our fathers ate man in the desert. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're quoting the scriptures. They knew the scriptures. They had studied the scriptures. They believed the scriptures. They could quote the scriptures. And still they did not believe. What's going on here? Doesn't that shock you? Isn't that amazing? And I began to think, well, wait a minute. I live in this world. I live among people. And I want to tell people about this good news. My most effective way of sharing Christ with someone, and I, Sandy and I had a lot of training between uh, crew and other things that we've been with, a lot of experience, a lot of practice. We feel like we can pretty much walk into any situation with any person and transition to the gospel and present the gospel and then challenge a person to believe the gospel because we've been trained in it and we've had practice in doing it professionally (laughs) with Campus Crusade for Christ, one of the best organizations around. But then I thought, my best training, my best track, my best presentation, my most earnest prayer, how is that going to make a bit of difference if people see and hear Jesus and they still don't believe. Don't you find that kind of discouraging? I mean, why should I even try? Well, why? Well, let's look at the problem. Why are they like this? The scripture describes this as having a hard heart so that things like signs and teachings bounce off. This is what it said about Pharaoh. He hardened his heart and would not listen. The, the Pharaoh's own magician said to him, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them. You see that? And I started looking at this a little bit more. And this is what Zechariah the prophet said about the Jews in the Old Testament. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. They made their hearts diamond hard. And then he's doing healing in the book of Mark 3, 5, and he they were saying, you can't heal on the Sabbath. And he looked in there with anger 
grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. But then I look over at the disciples themselves and it says in John 2, when Jesus turned the water to wine, it said, this is the first miracle that Jesus did and his disciples put their faith in him. And then in the parallel passage to them rowing across in the dark against the water and Jesus coming up, it says, it, it says their hearts were hardened and they couldn't understand the miracle of the loaves and fishes. These are the apostles. So apparently this hard heart thing is something that even believers can have. And they saw him get in the boat, and it says, and they fell down in the boat on their knees and worshiped him as God. For some reason, you know, bread and fishes didn't cut it, but walking on water did. And Jesus was talking to his apostles, and he said, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? He's asking his disciples that. And then, after the resurrection, he comes to them in the upper room. He appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. So it got a little scarier because I was saying, well, maybe those people over there aren't as smart as I am or as good looking as I am. and They don't believe the gospel. After all, there must be a reason I believe and they don't, right? I must be smarter. I understand it and they don't. Uh, or I must be nicer. You know, I, I come to God and they don't. But, but these are apostles and it's kind of hard for me to claim the smarter, prettier thing with them. Uh, so I'm, 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 running out of, I'm running out of reasons here, you see. And so I'm trying to figure this out. And then it gets worse because these guys in John 6, they say to him, uh, verse 30, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. The arrogance, they are going to judge Jesus. And it goes like this. Well, hey, you just fed 5,000, and you're asking us to believe in you. But Moses fed a million for 40 years. So you're going to have to up your game a little bit before we believe that you're the Messiah. Can you believe the arrogance of that? standing right there in front of this guy who'd done this. The arrogance that they were exhibiting. That's what hardness of heart does. Well, that's the thing that uh, scared me, you see. And I'm saying, well, whoa, how, how, how does that come about? How can, how can I share with people and expect them to respond? And then I ask myself, well, what about my life? If the apostles again and again have a hard heart, is it possible that I can have a hard heart? 
Is that a yes or no? That's a yes. In fact, it might even be likely. That scares me. That I could know the scripture, that I could quote the scripture, that I could see God working, and that I could be in his presence who, when I take communion and when I'm worshiping with you, and yet my hardness of heart is not believing what I'm hearing or seeing or experiencing. That scares me. That scares me. So I looked back and I said, well, is there any hope for hard hearts? You see, and I found some because look what Jesus says. Verse 36 But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. All those the Father gives me will come to me. So apparently God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, works in people and actually overcomes the hardness. The darkness of mind, he shines light. The hardness of heart, he gives new life, the new birth. You must be born again, and the heart becomes soft. And then the will that is enchained to sin, the chain is broken. And then all of a sudden, people can understand, and their hard heart can be softened, and their wills can respond to God. And in this passage, Jesus calls that those the Father gives me. That's why we read John 17, that he may give eternal life. God has given me authority over John 17. The Father has given me authority over all flesh, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. There is a group of people from all eternity that God has chosen. It's called election the elect, and he has chosen those people, and he gives them to the Son as a gift. And in John 17, Jesus said, they were yours in eternity past. You gave them to me in time, that's when a person believes, and I have given them your word. That's what he says in John 17. So it is possible that in this community and in this world, there are people that can hear and understand and believe and obey God, can accept Jesus as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, and through his name have life. That's the encouraging thing. Uh, Bill Bright and Vonette, founders of Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ. You know, we had the privilege of working with that ministry and being on staff, went to Airhead Springs, went through training with Bill and Vonette and other staff. And with a smile, I thought it was beatific, he would say, if people were to understand who Jesus is, the beauty of his character, And what he has done, the accomplishment of salvation for man, 
then they would believe. But now that's not true, is it? But it is true. If they could, they would. And so he had the confidence that whom he was sharing, Jesus, was the most attractive, effective person and message of all time and eternity. And just to share it with people is to draw them to him. And so when I go through this training, I do a transition with people and we talk and I finally get to the question, have you ever considered the claims of Jesus? Claims, what claims? John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats me will never be hungry again. I will give him living water and he will live forever. And you share those claims with the confidence that there are people out there who will hear and respond. You know how I know that? Against all odds, because it happened to me. You know how I know that can happen? Because I'm looking out here at people. And it happened in your life, didn't it? Light came into your mind. Your heart was softened. Your will was freed. And you said, I need a Savior. He is the Savior. That's the encouraging part. And here's the other encouraging part. He says in verse 37, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You see, even though the apostles were hard-hearted and didn't understand the miracles, and, and were hard-hearted and didn't believe the resurrection, he didn't drive them away. You see that? Because those that the Father from all eternity chose and then gave to his Son, and they have believed in him, he will never drive them away, no matter how many times they stumble, no matter how many times they fall. He will always welcome them back because they are his for time and all of eternity. You see how encouraging that is? That's why it's so encouraging. In fact, it says, I marked another passage here. Where did I mark that? It's in verse... Oh, that one didn't have it's at the end of chapter uh, 6, verse uh, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken in you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. But that means there are some of you that do. And then he says, For Jesus knew from the beginning those who were who did not believe and those who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. He knows. He knows who will come and who won't. 
Well, two questions. Why then does he take the time to feed and teach and perform signs to those people who he knows won't come? Because he says over here, um, whoever will come to me, I give eternal life. I don't see that right now. It's a message for everybody. Anybody, whosoever will, come and drink of the water of life. Whosoever will, come and eat the bread of life. Whoever turns to him and comes to him, Jesus says, he will accept and they will become his children. It's an offer to everybody. The second thing is, he knows, but we don't know. He has decided not to give us that knowledge. He has said to us, so in the morning and so in the afternoon, because you don't know which seed will bear fruit and germinate. That's what he has said to us, go into the world and make disciples of all the nations. You should be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So what is my job? Is to share this good news of anybody and everybody. And so this is what Bill Bright would say. Here's your job, Jerry. Oh, good. What is my job? Share the good news and the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God. Because I can't persuade a dark mind. I can't soften a hard heart. I can't free a shackled will. But God can. And he uses the truth of the gospel to penetrate minds and hearts and wills. And he has chosen not angels, not rocks and trees, his people to share that word. And when that seed is planted, he uses it in his people the ones he's giving to Jesus, and it bears fruit. We don't know. We broadcast. And we tell the glories of Jesus and his signs and his sayings. And then we wait and watch and pray that God will work. See, that's our privilege. And they asked Jesus when they, they said, uh, verse 28, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That's the answer. When one says to me, what well, isn't the gospel justice? Isn't the gospel mercy? Isn't the just, uh, uh, gospel equality? Isn't the gospel equity? Equality is... is uh, Everyone has the same opportunity. Equity is everybody has the same outcome. You say, isn't that the gospel? I say, well, no, those are results of the gospel. Not equity. That's not in the Bible. These are the results of the gospel. The gospel is the work of God is to believe in whom he has sent. See, that's where we start. So someone says, well, what's the goal here? What are you going for? The goal 
is that you might believe in the one that God has sent. By believing, you might have eternal life. So we're clear on the gospel. We're clear on what our responsibility is. And see, we find something here very encouraging, but also very scary. Jesus is the bread of life, and who comes to him will never hunger again. What a great message. And whoever comes to him, he will never cast out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this long passage in John 6 and for the the scariness of it. That hardness of heart can keep us from Jesus. And even when we come to Jesus, we can still have hard hearts at times. But Father, we're so pleased that all the Father has given you will come to Jesus and he will never cast us out. We thank you for that encouragement. We thank you for that joy. We thank you for that message that you've given us to share. Amen.